0: The confidence is not just going to magically show up, right? It's something that you earn through effort, through persistence, through results, through accomplishments. And so I think if you're doubting yourself, you should act anyway and know that that's the best antidote for your doubts.
1: I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. Thanks to NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, 7 Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com dreamjob. Also, just want to say thanks to Pros. Pros is the only hair care that is 100% personalized and custom-made for your hair and the way you live. Get started today with $10 off your first order at pros.com dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm so excited about today's guest. He's amazing. His name is Adam Grant, and I'm going to tell you in a second who he is, if you don't already know. But first, I just want to ask you how your weekend was. I I don't know if you can hear it, but I have a cold, and um, I was under the weather this weekend, and I don't know if it was partly that or just something else. I'm not really exactly sure, but yesterday, I just had one of those days where I just fell down. And Morgan Harper Nichols, you know, I've mentioned her so many times. She had something so beautiful. I posted on my Instagram. It said, I know a lot of things have been on your heart lately. And I also know that you are not a burden because of them. And I just wanted to say that you're allowed to have days when you feel down, you're allowed to have days when you don't even know why you're sad. And you don't need to feel any kind of like shame for needing to rest or needing just to cry for no reason. I just want to say that um, you can always DM me on Instagram, by the way. Um, You really can. I'll always reply. If you're just having one of those days and you just need someone to hear you, you can reach out to me because I really am here. Sometimes we just need someone else to let us know we're not alone or that what we're feeling is really normal and that whatever is going on with us is making sense. It's not easy to be an adult. It's not easy to have lived through all of the things that we've gone through, all the twists in the road. You guys have, you've come so far and you've managed to just do so well in spite of so much that's been thrown at you. And sometimes you don't want to be cheered up. You just want someone to let you feel what you feel. So I just want you to know I'm here and I really mean it. If you want to DM me on Instagram, go right ahead. I will reply. Um Also, I'm going to be spending more time with you guys. I'm so excited. But this Wednesday, I'm doing a free masterclass on the three essential steps to grow your business? How do you take this passion and turn it into a profit? What are the three most essential steps? There's a free masterclass this Wednesday, June 5th. If you would like, you can sign up for that. There's a link in the show notes. There's also a link to it in my Instagram bio. And um, if you can't make it live, you can sign up and you can be sent the replay. So I suggest that you get in on this free class. Also, I'm so excited because I'm finally opening the doors to this three-month program I'm doing. It's starting very soon. You're going to be hearing about it in just a few days. It's called the Don't Keep Your Day Job Accelerator. This is the Inner Circle program I've been talking about. It is a three-month coaching program where I will be teaching you step-by-step what is it that you need to do so that you don't feel overwhelmed and you don't spin your wheels. How do you go ahead and really methodically build a business with heart, where you can sell without selling, where you can build an audience that you're really engaged with. And I sort of like to call it the empathy empire. I feel like that's how I've always built anything is through empathy and through making people feel seen. And when you do that, it's incredible how you feel like you get to be yourself, you get to be authentic, you get to really be in service of other people. And then whatever money you're making, it just feels like such an honest transaction. And I want to really show you how I've built a seven-figure business several times doing it the Kathy way, which is through empathy and through really feeling like I'm aligned with myself and making sure that my audience feels seen. I cannot wait to do this program. It's going to be three months of trainings and coachings. There are nine modules plus there's several friends of mine who have offered to be guest experts. So Laura Belgray will be in the program teaching copy and Susie Moore will be in the program teaching you how to get a guest spot so that you can get articles featured in Entrepreneur and Forbes and Inc. and Oprah just like she has and you can learn how to do that. There's also several other people. I'll keep telling you more about it as the week rolls on but the doors are not open just yet but just know this is going to be like an all-in-one incredible program. You don't want to miss it. It's three months of me showing up every single week coaching you and literally a step-by-step path to really scaling your business, turning your passion into profit. And if you've already begun, how do you grow it and how do you make it better and bigger and how do you really show up in the world more. And for those of you who are trying to figure out what it is that you want to do, we will help you figure out how to monetize this thing that you've always wanted. So it's going to be really cool. Something for everybody. I can't wait. Stay tuned for more details on that. It is called the Don't Keep Your Day Job Accelerator. And I'm so excited because it's happening this week. So stay tuned. So today's guest is a real honor for me. We have the brilliant Adam Grant on the show with us today. And in case you don't know him already, Adam is an organizational psychologist. He's a top-rated professor at Wharton. He's a four-time best-selling author, a two-time TED Talk speaker, and he's host of the top-ranking podcast, Work Life. He has dedicated his life's work to learning and teaching motivation and meaning and how we can live more generous and creative lives. He has four best selling books, which include Give and Take and Originals, which are the ones we're going to talk about today. And his two TED Talks have been viewed more than 17 million times. So definitely worth checking that out if you haven't seen them already. Also, take a listen to his podcast, Work Life with Adam Grant. He chats with some of the world's most successful and unusual professionals to explore the science of making your work into something that is actually more meaningful and enjoyable. It is unbelievable how much he's already accomplished, and he's truly one of my favorite people. I love him so much. Without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Adam Grant. Adam Grant, what a pleasure it is to have you here.
0: Thanks for joining me. Well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it, Kathy?
1: Well, I like that you like to under-promise and over-deliver, um, but you've already done that. See, I know it's going to be amazing because I'm a fan of yours and so is most of the universe. So let's dive in. You've been busy giving to the world on so many different fronts, writing books, hosting an incredible podcast, TED talking. Lots of things are happening from you. So I would like to start maybe with your one of your books, originals, which is like so well beloved. Can we just talk a little bit about why you came to the place of wanting to write that book?
0: Well, sure. Um, thank you for the kind words. I'll try to live <laughs> up to them. So, yeah,
1: no pressure here.
0: You know, I guess I largely wrote the book because I've always seen myself as uncreative and <laughs> I was just terrified of breaking rules or doing things in ways that weren't right. I just, I felt like I didn't have creative ideas and it wasn't until really after i got tenure as, as a professor that i started to feel like you know what i actually do have ideas that people disagree with and i just haven't known how to express them and it's not until i had per- permanent job security that i even felt comfortable speaking up about them in the first place and so wow it's i guess it's something that i've you know i've seen over and over again with my students with leaders that i've worked with that You know, everybody has creative ideas. And I think the challenges we run into are around how do we champion them so that other people take them seriously?
1: Yes, absolutely. We underestimate the value in things and we're like so quick to dismiss it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to know, based on your research, what did you find out about original thinkers that surprised you?
0: Oh, a lot. Yeah, first of all, there's a new study that just came out which shows that on average, most of us underestimate the value of our ideas. Uh, but leaders and managers significantly overestimate the value of their ideas.
1: Oh. I see. <laughs>
0: so I think we spend we spend way too much time listening to powerful people and not enough time mm. listening to ourselves and our peers. Yes. I would start there, and then I'd say I also, you know, I, I kind of had this image of great original thinkers as People who were full of confidence and conviction, who never had any self doubt, who figured out a brilliant idea and then just perfect it over and over again, like Einstein. And you know, I, I discovered that none of that was true. That you know, very often original thinkers uh, had tons of bad ideas, uh, that they were completely unsure of them, and that sometimes they even had to be dragged into pursuing them, like. Martin Luther King, Jr. being talked into leading the civil rights movement when he didn't want to. He wow. wanted to focus on being a pastor. I think that wow. you know that that happens to all of us. And the data point that really stuck with me the most is this is a nationally representative study of uh, of American entrepreneurs where you know they were working their day jobs. And then the question was, when they had an idea for a startup, what did they do? Did they quit their job and go all in? Or did they keep working in their day job and you know, kind of pursue the startup as a hobby? And mm-hmm. every venture capitalist I know said the same thing, which is I would never bet on someone unless they went all in because you know, they're not mm-hmm. serious otherwise. And yet the study showed that entrepreneurs were 33% less likely to fail if they kept their day job and kind of did the side hustle for a while. Wow. Which is amazing.
1: Yeah. That is amazing. And I feel like I'm listening to you and everything you're saying feels like a mic drop. It's brilliant. And I feel like so many people think that there's nothing original about what they're doing. They'll think, well, there's already a million blogs, there's already 15 coffee shops. There's already that like why should I bother? What would you say to that?
0: Uh I would say you're wrong <laughs> to any of those people. I think there there are a couple of reasons that why I'd say you're wrong. Number one I don't actually think you have to be totally original in order to do meaningful creative work. Mm. Um, one of the things I've, I've learned recently is that you don't have to say something new if you say something true. Ooh, I like that. Very often, you know, the ideas that become popular, the products that take off are iterations on things that have existed before. So, you know, I know as a kid, one of my favorite inventions was Nintendo. Uh, I was mm-hmm. pretty addicted to it. And I, I always thought it was mind-bogglingly original creation. Um, and only a couple of years ago did I learn that the way that Nintendo got started was they became uh, Magnavox's distributor. I think it was for the Odyssey uh, hmm. in Japan. And they learned how this, this kind of earlier, more rudimentary video game system worked. And then they, they said, all right, let's take what we learned from that and make a better version of it. Wow. Um, and boom, Nintendo was born. And I think almost every invention and innovation uh, has a story like that. So you don't have to be first, right? You just have to, to upgrade or improve and, and make something that's you know, a, little bit, a little bit evolved and you know, a little bit more useful. And yeah. then the other reason I would say that, and this goes especially to anyone who, who writes or communicates ideas, is that I think we find a ton of wisdom in the experiences and stories of other people. Um, yeah. and it's usually not their most unique experiences right it's their most universal experiences mm. uh, that allow yes. us to you know to really gain something we can take back to ourselves so uh, you don't have to be original to be a creative how's that wow that is so true it's the things that other people say where we see
1: ourselves in them and we say oh my god i love this person or i can't believe what they just said and you're right they're just sort of restating something that you maybe knew or needed to hear again or reinforcing something Uh, that's really interesting. And I feel like you, you said yourself that when you were growing up, you didn't want to get things wrong, you didn't want to fail, you wanted to be perfect. And you crossed that ocean, you got to the other side, You've, you've taken many risks, you've gotten up and given huge talks and started a podcast and written books like these are things that take a lot of courage. Um, do you think so?
0: Because I think it would have been a much bigger risk not to do those things.
1: Wow. Because then you wouldn't be who you're supposed to be in the world?
0: Something like that. I think then I would feel like I was wasting a lot of my time, right? So if if I believe that the research I do matters, that the ideas I communicate are important, you know, what right do I have to to limit those to academic journal articles? and to, you know, just the number of students who can fit in my classroom. Uh, I felt like I had a responsibility, you know, especially <laughs> tenure is a huge gift, right, for, for an employer to say, okay, you know, you, you now have a job for life. And, you know, you can teach the classes that you want to teach, and you can study any question or problem that you want, and you get to design your own job. Um, that's that's a gift that shouldn't be wasted, and so yeah. you know I I feel like I would have looked back and and always wondered what if 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 I didn't give it a shot.
1: What you just said is so unique, and I never can hear it enough. I've only heard one other person say. What you said with as much conviction as you said it, which was Daniel Pink when he was on the podcast, and he said, if you have something that's going to make a material difference in the world and the lives of other people that's going to better their life, you have a moral obligation to share it. You're not allowed to keep it to yourself. And most people don't say that. But you just said, I knew that I I wasn't going to just share this with the amount of people that could fit in my classroom. Like if I had something of value... I had to do this and that I don't even know what to say about that. It, it's, it's more than self-esteem. It's sort of like a knowing and a trusting of this intuition, uh, having this clarity around this responsibility that what you have to offer is significant. And that seems to me the biggest ocean to cross for people. Yeah. So how do you encourage people to do that?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that that Dan is the other person who had that view uh, because He's a friend, but before we knew each other, he was one of my favorite writers and thinkers. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: I, would, I would edit what Dan said a little bit, and this, this will go to how Ooh, I would, you know, recommend getting there. My, my edit would be, I don't think it's an obligation. Uh, I think if you see it as an obligation, it becomes a source of stress. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm somebody, and I think most, most humans work this way. And by the way, Dan wrote a whole book about it. Like, yeah. I, I'm driven by intrinsic motivation right? I want to share my knowledge because I love ideas and because I'm passionate about, you know, coming up with something that's useful to other people or that, you know, changes the way they think or surprises and delights them in some way. And I think it it might be a mistake to think about it as an obligation, but you do want a little bit of that feeling that other people are depending on you. And for me, the way that I got there was actually to just start sharing my ideas in you know, in little bite-sized pieces. So, you know, it, at first, I didn't feel much of that conviction or responsibility. I just, um, I kind of, I loved organizational psychology enough that, you know, my friends were getting tired of me talking about the studies I learned about in class right. or trying right, to get them right, to right. read the books that I was reading. <laughs> and so I felt like I had to find an audience that, you know, yeah. that would be curious about that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in a classroom, that made a lot of sense. And then I started a little lab group where I invited a you know, group of students to come in and, and read articles and just discuss and debate them. And, you know, lo and behold, I started doing that, what, in 2003, my first year of grad school, 2011, I get tenure, I go to my very next lab meeting. And in between uh, one of my longtime collaborators, who I learned a ton from, Barry Schwartz of the Paradox of Choice, has asked me if I want to write a book with him. And I'm so flattered and excited, and I I know I can learn a ton more. And so I come into the lab meeting and I I tell my students, hey, you know, I'm going to write this book with Barry Schwartz. And there's a near mutiny in the lab. Mm. And it's not because they don't love Barry. They're huge fans of his. It's because as one student put it, you can't write somebody else's book before you write your own. Mm. And that was the motivation I needed. I felt like, okay, there's a group of students out there you know, who are depending on me to take these, these ideas. I guess it had really become a worldview at that point and share it with a broader audience. And so it wasn't me feeling like I was obligated to do it. It was me feeling like, wow, I became a professor because I wanted to pay forward some of the, you know, the inspiration insight I got from my my own teachers. Wow. And, you know, here's a group of students telling me that that's worthwhile. Maybe maybe I should listen to them.
1: Wow. It's, it's incredible. And now you're helping so many people through your podcast. It's amazing. It's called Work Life. And you're helping people understand how to get to work and all the different things that go into being creative and how to bounce back from rejection and following your what's in your passion. So if you had to boil it down and say, this is what I'm hoping people get from this podcast, what's the mission? What are you hoping
0: to serve? Um, I guess for me, a big social problem exists when the majority of people don't find the majority of their waking hours meaningful and motivating. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, so I I kind of I started the, the the show with with the TED team to try to make work not suck or at least suck a little mm-hmm. bit less. It's probably mm-hmm. a more realistic as- yeah. aspiration. Yeah. But I think that very few of us have the time in our work lives to reflect on what's going wrong, what's going well. You know how we can fix the the, the worst parts and and build on the best parts. And so, what I really wanted to do was um, was go. Into the minds of, of people who have excelled at something that I wish I could master and that a lot of people could benefit from, and take their stories and their experiences and also the coolest social science that that I've come across and try to explain, you know, how we can learn to love criticism, or how we can actually get great ideas from the biggest misfits in our team who we normally seem as as disgruntled mm. curmudgeons. And for me, there's, I guess, an ulterior motive too, which is ever since my first book came out six years ago, I have spent way too much time telling people stuff I already know. Uh, you know, Every every time I stand up to give a speech, the majority of, of a keynote or a presentation is uh, is knowledge that I've already accumulated. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, sometimes I'd learn something new in the Q&A. Uh, but for the most part, I, I feel like it's a little bit out of balance in terms of I'm doing a lot of teaching and too little learning. And so- Work life was an excuse for oh me God. to invite myself in to the places that I thought were fascinating, you know, from yes. Pixar to the U.S. Navy to Bridgewater uh. to uh, Olympic skiing and marathoning teams and yep. figure out what made them tick and then, you know, try to share what I'd learned on the back end. So that was <laughs> that was the, the ambition.
1: I want to meet your parents and tell them that either something they did was so great or... In response to what they did, you just had a lot of therapy. It became awesome. I don't know which way it went, but I don't either. You, but you just said, I wanna learn new things. Like I don't wanna have it all dialed in. Like part of this is for me to get to feel like my mind is expanding because I like to grow. Oh my gosh, I have so much more to ask you, but first let's just say a quick thanks to our friends at Netsuite. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And most businesses don't know their numbers because they have way too many systems going on. It's like this big, overwhelming headache. And then as a result, the business suffers. But it doesn't have to be this way. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you can manage sales, finance and accounting, orders and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. So you can save time, money, and save yourself from those unnecessary headaches. I've tried using a ton of different systems for different purposes like my email list and my accounting and it gets really time consuming to keep track of where everything is not to mention it gets really pricey to pay for every service. So it's really nice to know that there are options like NetSuite to manage all of this for you. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system and right now NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, 7 key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com/dreamjob. That's netsuite.com/dreamjob to download your free guide, 7 key strategies to grow your profits netsuite.com slash dreamjob. Let me ask you this question. And when I say to you in the spur of the moment, Adam, what do you think is one thing that's been consistent from all of those people that you walked away going, oh, wow, that's interesting. This is something that we're pointing to that a person has in order to be successful or happier or more fulfilled in their work.
0: Oh, that one's easy. I feel like the the common denominator of these you know incredibly accomplished people that I've I've had the privilege of learning from is they never feel like they've made it they're always oh. trying to get better and you know one one thing i've noticed is that some of them will even ask for feedback after the interview is done and say okay you know how how could i have been clearer oh uh, more helpful God. more interesting and i think that thirst for improvement uh, as opposed to you know kind of getting content to rest on your laurels is is a huge differentiator
1: and i just said that about you and then (laughs) oops amazing you guys if you're listening right now and wondering what we're talking about there's so much in adam's podcast work life please go check it out if you're listening to this show it's something that you will absolutely love i want to sort of zero this in because of what you just talked about how so many people are spending hours doing things that they're less than enthused about and helping people find their life's work so i want to talk a little bit about that people listening right now are thinking i have this side thing i'd like to monetize more or i have three things i'm not sure which one to choose what's your advice to them where to start what should they do
0: oh i would say (laughs) don't take advice from strangers (laughs) <laughs> i think I think, in all seriousness, it's really hard to give good personalized customized advice to people you don't know, but I do think there's some social science that's useful here, which is to say if your goal is to to make progress on you know what what might be a side project or even to figure out which one is worth pursuing. one thing I took away from uh, the time I spent with Ray Dalio in Bridgewater is. I think that we're all really good at leaning on our support networks when we need them. Right? We have cheerleaders who, you know, who kind of encourage us and and remind us of our potential and there's no doubt that that's critically important in, you know, in most people's lives. Yep. I think what we overlook though is you also need a challenge network. And those are the mm. the people who, you know, who believe in your you and your work so much that they tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. And mm-hmm. They dish out tough love and say, hey, you know, I, uh, I think you could, you know, you could write a really great book or, you know, make a wonderful TV show. And this, in my opinion, is not that. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you why. Yeah. And I think the evidence suggests that we're, we're often too quick to tune those people out. And I think there's a huge mm, difference between, between the, the naysayers and, and the constructive critics, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, these are not naysayers who are saying you can't do it right they're just saying you haven't figured it out yet yeah uh, and i think we we need to listen to those people and often that's because we're too close to our own projects to see them clearly yeah uh, and it's people with a little bit more distance who uh, who are in a better position to gauge their potential
1: yeah and that actually brings us to the next piece that i wanted to make time for during this interview which is a book you wrote called Give and Take, and you did a TED Talk, Are You a Giver or a Taker, and Why Helping Others Drives Our Success. And the reason why I find that those are linked, and I want to ask you about it, is because in business, if you've done, you know, a little bit of your homework on how do you get this thing off the ground, people will talk about validating your idea. They'll talk about proof of concept, and that's where you want to engage other people and get feedback. And I've been saying, if I had to pick one thing, I would say build an audience, um, because, When you're building an audience, you can then hit the target easier because you can make the thing they want. You can get that dialogue going, that feedback loop going, so that as you're building something, you're taking into account what these people you're serving need. Do you feel like that's part of this process of giving is building that environment so that's where you can get some of that constructive criticism?
0: I think so. The answer is yes, but I want to qualify it a little bit and say, okay. I think you should definitely have a clear idea of who you're trying to help, yes. whenever you start a new project, right? And that yes. that's both because you can you can make your your content or your product or your service more useful to them, but also because those people become your motivation. Exactly. So you ha- you know you have a group of listeners or readers or customers who you know who you know are going to be excited about this and that <laughs> that really keeps you going. Yes. Um, I think the, the qualifier is, I think that people worry too much about the, the taste of their audience. And I think that you know, oftentimes when you, when you launch something, uh, you're actually doing it for you, and you're trying to figure sure. out, okay, you know I, <laughs> there's, there's knowledge out there that I've accumulated that I couldn't find anywhere else. And so I have something to say there. And yep. that means that you know, sometimes when you, when you think about building your audience, you could imagine a bunch of mini yous out there and say, okay, how do I attract people who have the same goals or the same frustrations that, that mm. led me down this path in the first place? I love that. I don't think that always requires you know, building an audience and getting to know everything about them, right? It, it does require uh, trying to solve a problem or tackle an issue that you're not the only one who's been frustrated with
1: it. Yes. That is so helpful because- in the first instance, you're not going to know much about your audience, but you do know a lot about yourself. And that's brilliant. Now, this brings me, I wanted to talk about this book and this TED Talk that all of the the work you've done around why helping others drives our success. Because for me, it's all like an empathy empire, right? It's like the more I give, 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 the more I learn, the more I can serve. It just feels right to me. I want to hear from you why this book, like you took a whole chunk of your life to dedicate to this. Like, what does it mean to be a giver? Are you a giver? Are you a taker? And how does this affect our business?
0: Well, I love the empathy empire phrase. That's such a such a magical way of of capturing. <laughs> it is magical. It. You know, I if I were to boil this down, the the reason I became passionate about this topic was I had students coming into office hours saying. You know, my my career plan is I'm going to achieve as much success as I can and earn a lot of money so I can give back. Mm, And I thought that was tragic for two reasons. One, uh, I think that there are lots of ways to give that don't require financial resources. Um, You know, whether that's that's listening to people, whether that's giving them feedback, whether that's sharing your knowledge, making introductions, uh, mentoring, the list goes on and on. And then secondly, (laughs) it just seemed backward the successful people that I've always admired, uh, they started giving long before they succeeded. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I started to, you know, to wonder if actually there was a causal connection there. And a decade of research later, I found that, uh, you know, to oversimplify things, divided the world into givers, takers, and matchers. Uh, And there's there's a lot of evidence that, you know, on one end of the spectrum, there are people who enjoy helping others without any strings attached. Those are the givers. On the other end, you have takers who are always asking, you know, what's in it for me? Uh, and then, you know, many people hover somewhere in the middle in this, this matching mode of, of, Hey, Kathy, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. Yeah. Yeah. And what I found studying performance in lots of jobs was that the givers were more likely to fail and also more likely to succeed. Wow. And that, you know, for me raised the question of, okay, what does it take to be a a successful giver? And, you know, how do you become productively generous and, you know, can you succeed by helping others succeed? Uh, is is such a fundamental question for anyone who both has ambitions and also cares about other people.
1: Yes, absolutely. Beautiful question. And you've gone on to answer it. Um, (laughs) And as it relates to our work, as it relates to building our, our career as an entrepreneur, our side hustle, as it relates to advancing things so that we have more of a feeling of fulfillment, how can we sort of implement giving? What's a way to think about that? in our business.
0: So I think that, you know, when you look at what differentiates successful and failed givers, uh, it's not, it's actually not primarily talent or intelligence or any kind of ability. It's, it's the choices you make every day about who you help, when you help and how you help. Mm. And so I think, you know, whatever kind of work you're doing, whatever kind of organization you're in, or if it's just you, I think you, you need to be thoughtful about, first of all, who are the people you're trying to help? So in my world, I prioritized, finally, after years of not having clear priorities, family first, students second, colleagues third, everyone else fourth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that means when, you know, when I have a trade-off, I know that I didn't become a professor to help other professors. I'd rather spend time with students than my colleagues right. uh, you know, when right. given the choice. The when is about saying, okay, I've got to block time out to get my own work done. So that, you know, unless it's an emergency, I'm not going to drop everything every time somebody wants something from me. Because if I do that pretty soon, I'll get a reputation as somebody who can be bothered any time and then no good deed will go unpunished.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And then the how to me is the most fun, which is to say, look, most of the, the giving we do is reactive. It's in response to requests from other people that, that may be exhausting to us or maybe you know, oftentimes you're getting asked for things that you're not even that good at doing you're just mm-hmm. you know you're available or you're trusted or you're nice. And so I think we need to be more proactive and be clear about what are the two or three ways that you enjoy helping and excel at it. And then when people come to you with requests if you know if if what they're asking for doesn't fit you say hey, you know what this is actually not my core skill set, but you know, let me suggest some people who do love helping this way and if I can ever help you in the ways that you know that I do think I can add value, let me know. Yep. And so, you know, in my world, that's that's sharing knowledge about work and psychology, and it's connecting two people who could benefit from knowing each other. And, yep. you know, increasingly, when a request comes in that doesn't fall into one of those two buckets, I will just try to share a resource and say, hey, you know, I'm I'm not an expert on this topic, but here's a book I read on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel like one thing that comes up for me, and I see this in some of my friends who are really successful entrepreneurs, there's this thing of like, I got to leave it all on the floor. I have to give everything, single thing I have. I have to completely deplete myself in order to be worthy of your love or your support or your money. And even then, I'm not really sure it's enough. And I doubt if I'm giving enough. Maybe the reason I see that in successful people is part of what made them successful is how drawn they are to giving and how much that's part of who they are. But at a certain point, I think it becomes... um, Something that can be problematic when we think it's it's never enough, and we're not valuable unless we're like walking on our knees in the desert for thousands of miles, and even then, is it is it enough?
0: Yeah, that I I think there's a there's a really common fallacy there, which is we have to stop confusing generosity with altruism, right? Giving to mm. other people does not mean sacrificing yourself, uh, and in fact, the people who give in the most self-sacrificing ways are the most likely to burn out empirically, they're the most likely to get taken advantage of. And that puts them in the worst position to continue giving over time. Uh, it's the people who set boundaries, who say, look, you know what? I, I want to be as helpful as I can to other people, but I'm not going to do that if it comes at a major personal cost, in part because I value myself and I want to engage in, you know, in healthy self-care. And in part because I know that in the long run, that means I will actually show up less for other people.
1: Yeah, that's uh, you know, true. Those,
0: those are the people who maintain their energy and end up being the most generous, even though in the moment, sometimes they feel less altruistic.
1: That's so true. And one piece of it that comes up that I see all the time in my listeners' letters and the the correspondence I have with them is when it comes time to be paid for their work, it's very hard to receive it. The giving is one thing. They got it. They're going to keep doing that. No problem. But now you're going to pay me and, oh my gosh... I feel like I'm hurting someone by receiving this. What would you say to that? Cause I see that all the time.
0: Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I would say there's a huge difference between taking and receiving. And of course you don't wanna be a taker, right? Taking is using other people solely for personal gain. Receiving is saying, look, you know, I will accept somebody else's contribution. It might be pay, it might be some other form of help or support. Um, and you know, I'll do that with gratitude. And I'm gonna maintain a willingness to pay it back or pay it forward if the opportunity presents itself. I, I don't think we need takers in the world to have givers. I do think we need willing receivers. Because otherwise, and you know, Kathy, as somebody who believes in the joy of giving, I think you're a huge jerk if you insist on being the giver in every relationship in every situation, right? Because then you're depriving other people of the joy of giving.
1: Yeah. So true. Oh my gosh, this conversation has been unbelievable. Before we keep going, let's just take a quick ad break. It seems like custom hair care is the latest hot trend, and it seems like it's just another gimmick from the beauty industry to make you pay more with shampoos and conditioners. This is probably the case with some big brands, but Pros is the new custom hair care company that is doing it right. Pros is the only hair care that is 100% custom made for your hair, your lifestyle, and your preferences. I try to take care of my hair as much as I can, but it can take a lot of work. Well, Pros makes hair care much easier because their formulas are made with the best natural premium ingredients to make masks, shampoos, and conditioners that treat your specific hair needs. They have a free Consultation at pros.com slash dream job. I took the consultation and they asked questions about your hair, but also questions like, What's your exercise routine? What kind of food do you eat? How's the weather in your city? And usually we don't even think about how those factors affect our hair, but they do play a big part. Plus, you can customize your products to be vegan or silicone-free, gluten-free or fragrance-free. So you know you're really getting products that are truly one of a kind, designed just for you, made in New York, and shipped right to your door, which is super convenient. No one else offers this level of personalization. So get started for $10 off your first order at pros.com slash dreamjob. That's pros.com slash dreamjob for $10 off your first order pros.com slash dream job is there anything right now if there's somebody listening on the subway or they're working out and they're feeling what you're saying and they just wish that they felt like they were enough to go ahead and put this into practice and there is just so much self-doubt that they're still wrestling which which is what I think is the most common obstacle what do you want to say to them
0: I guess the one the one thing that for me helps with that is to remember that everyone experiences self doubt when I was writing originals. I had the opportunity to to interview some of the the great entrepreneurs of our time and you know, the interesting thing was a lot of them said the same thing wow. uh, so you know when i when I talked to Elon Musk about you know launching SpaceX and then leaving oh Tesla uh when I talked to Mark Cuban or larry page and I talked to Richard Branson. Um, they all answered the confidence question in the same way, which was I didn't know that I was going to succeed. I constantly had doubts, and other people doubted me too. The difference was that, you know, yeah, I was afraid of failing, but I was even more afraid of failing to try. And that is a theme that just comes up over and over and over again. It's something that, you know, that you see when you study regrets in the long run that, you know, in the, over time, our biggest regrets tend to be, you know, not the things we did. They're the things that we didn't do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess I've, I've heard it enough to think that if you're somebody who wrestles with self-doubt, then one of the best things you can do is just say, look, you know what? <laughs> one of the only ways to overcome that doubt is to build up a track record where I achieve things. And you know, over time, I'm gonna then be able to say, hey, you know what? I shouldn't yeah. doubt myself because I did this and this and this and this. And the mm-hmm. only way to do that is to just start doing things, whether you have the confidence or not. And I think too many of us sit around waiting for the day when we feel perfectly confident. And I see this especially with women. And the data suggests that it's, it's probably more common for women than men, You know, like, okay, next week, I'll have the magical confidence that I need. Right. In order to, you know, to pursue this, this thing that I'm afraid to pursue. And the reality is that the confidence is not just going to magically show up, right? It's something that you earn yep. through yep. effort, through persistence, through results, through accomplishments. And so I think that uh, <laughs> I think if you're doubting yourself, you should act anyway yeah. and know that that's the best antidote for your doubts.
1: Unbelievable. So beautiful. Tell us where we can find more of you.
0: You talked about the podcast and books. I guess the other places I do a monthly newsletter on work in psychology called Granted, uh, where I share some of my favorite it. Uh, new data points and latest thoughts. So anybody who's interested, come and check that out at adamgrant.net.
1: Awesome. We can also put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Uh, you're just, I need words for this kind of thing.
0: Kathy, let me put you on the spot for a second though. Yeah. So you are obviously an incredibly supportive person. I think that there are a lot of people who would love to have you in their support network.
1: Look at you, turning the tables. I am. I, <laughs> I am.
0: But I okay. really, I told you I really value having a challenge network. Tell me something you disagreed with or something that I can do better as, an, as a guest.
1: Oh my God. We're doing this and it's being recorded? I would um, be a
0: hypocrite if I didn't oh ask. Oh my right? God.
1: Adam Grant. Bring it on. Bring it on. I have to think about that. Hang on. This is what's really aggravating about about you right now is that you're great, you're kind. And then everything you said was like a mic drop. So it's very frustrating. And I'm trying to freaking figure it out. Um, I feel like when I asked you about, so how can we incorporate giving into our business? And you gave us like a big, broad answer. I think I wanted you to give me specific something that we could do to start building our audience. Something that we could oh, like. You're um, right. You went. You went sort. There right. it is.
0: I'm so <laughs> glad I pushed here. I don't know. Um, no, no, that's good. So you were looking for an actionable tip.
1: Yeah, I mean, you answered it. Everything you said was just like what they needed. It was like a salve on their wound. But then. We want to just keep drilling down with that empathy. So, if you know that people who are listening want to start a side hustle and it's like, okay, so what can they do right now today? It's like, hmm, let me think of specific things because that's what's going to make this show even more viral. It's like giving them ta- a couple tactics now that they can think about.
0: That is excellent feedback. So, yes. Okay. So, the one that I've found most useful personally uh, comes from an entrepreneur, Adam Rifkin who's uh, Who's been very successful and also is a big giver. And one of the the things he recommended to me was he said, "Look, all you need to do is incorporate a few more five minute favors into your week." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, this is exactly. This is so useful because if you are a you know if you tend to be a taker, you're like, oh, I could probably spend you know five minutes with a few more people every week, not such a big sacrifice. And if you're an overly selfless giver, are like, oh, wait, I only I only have to spend five minutes with some of the people as opposed to five hours? I didn't realize that. And so right. I think the, the tactical advice would be take the, the one form of giving that you enjoy most, pick one day each week and make that your generosity day and say, look, I'm going to line up five people to get five-minute favors on Thursday every week. And it'll be a different five people each week if that's how you want to do it and you're hoping to meet new people. Or strengthen your connections with people you hardly know. It might be you know, the same people if you're trying to build deeper relationships with people. But the research on that suggests that if you stack together all your acts of generosity in one day, kind of like in a batch, as opposed to spreading them out, they actually energize you more because you feel like you made more of a difference that day and they're not wow. as distracting. And so, yeah, I guess I'd say pick, pick a generosity a day each week, do a few five-minute favors that day on your terms that are your choice and you'll both give more to other people and you'll hopefully find yourself more energized than exhausted.
1: And is that okay if you're doing that with the hope that that will somehow grow your business or is that make it that you actually, is it is it less valuable oh, if no, you're thinking th- of?
0: That's, I prefer it if you do it with that hope because I think what you're getting at, Kathy, is the, the risk that if you do it to get something back from these people, it, you know, it's not generous anymore and it becomes transactional. Right. And I think that that's a problem. People see right through it. You also end up systematically helping only the people that you can anticipate helping you back as opposed to the people who mm-hmm,
1: you know are going mm-hmm. to enrich
0: your life in un- unexpected ways or might yeah. go pay it forward in meaningful ways. Right. But I think that if you're doing it just to do it, then you know, you're know you not dedicating yourself to what your, your goals are. And so yeah. you know, I think if you say, look, like in, in my world, for example, one of my standard five-minute favors is doing – I guess it's giving people feedback on, on their book proposals. And mm-hmm. you know, often I find that that's something I can scan really quickly and identify a couple ways for them to improve it. And mm-hmm. for me, I feel like the value there is I'm getting exposure to new ideas. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing it because I, like, I want an idea from each person I'm going to give feedback to. I'm doing it because in the aggregate, I think that it keeps me in learning mode. Um, and yeah. it's also an easy way for me to be helpful given mm-hmm. my, my experience. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to sacrifice yourself or just do random acts of kindness. I also think you don't want this quid pro quo attached to the people you're helping. Yeah. You want to invest in, in helping people because you believe that that's the right way to live in the world. Because you value trying to be helpful and caring and generous, and you also believe that in the aggregate, if you operate this way, uh, yes. you can do it in such a way that won't it won't hurt you, and yeah, on the side it might help you, but you would do it even if it didn't help you. Absolutely,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I-, I give it an A plus. I put a big gold star on this interview.
0: I think you just uh, you're speaking like a giver.
1: I know. I just like you a lot. I can't help it. Thank you for doing uh, something that's never been done on the show, asking me questions, putting me on the spot, and just saying lots of things that we all really need to hear. You're awesome. Everyone needs to go immediately subscribe to your podcast, buy your books, because we need more of you. We need more of you in the world, and we need more of you in our lives. So thank you for being you. And
0: thank you for being so enthusiastic and encouraging and also really fun Aww. and engaging which is uh which is not always the case.
1: Adam, I don't know what's happened, but you made my whole freaking week. Um thank you. You're awesome. Oh my gosh, how incredible was that? Truly a life-giving conversation. Now here are some takeaways. Number one, you don't have to be the most original to be creative. You don't have to say something new. Just say something true. Number two, we find wisdom and connection in the most universal experiences, not the most unique. Number three, there are people out there who are depending on your knowledge and your gifts. Number four, no one ever feels like they've made it. It's always about striving to improve. Number five, build your challenge network. Surround yourself with tough love. Number six, imagine all the mini yous out there. How can you give them that thing that you wanted? Number seven, think of two or three ways you enjoy giving and incorporate a few more five-minute favors into your week. Number eight, generosity doesn't mean altruism. Set boundaries. If you overgive and deplete yourself in the long run, you will show up less for other people. And number nine, action is the antidote for your doubts. All right. Well, just a reminder, I am doing a free masterclass this Wednesday, June 5th at 12 Pacific Standard Time. There's a link in the show notes if you'd like to sign up. You can also go to my Instagram and there's a link there also in the bio to sign up. If you can't be with us live, you should sign up anyway because we will send you the replay. This will be the three most essential steps to growing your passion into a profit. I think that you'll really enjoy it. I'm really excited to be showing up and sharing this with you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, like I said, I really mean it. I read every DM. I will respond to you personally. I don't have an assistant doing it. I do it myself. You can find me on Instagram at Kathy.Heller. You can also find our awesome community of like-minded creators, artists, and entrepreneurs in the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. It would mean the world to me if you shared the show with a friend, whether it's this episode or another one, Please go ahead and share it, and leave a review of the show because it actually helps us more than you can imagine. If you're new here, please don't forget to subscribe because we have episodes coming all the time. So many good ones, and I don't want you to miss anything. Also, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and take a second and buy my book, Don't Keep Your Day Job. You can find it at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, Apple. You can find the Audible version. I think you're going to love this book. I poured two years of myself into it. And if you like this podcast, you'll love this book. So get a copy. You can get a copy for a friend. There are still two more remaining coaching sessions left. So if you pre-order the book before Thursday, go ahead and send us a screenshot to hello at don't keep your and we'll get you into those two free coaching sessions. Also, there are more bonuses coming for those of you who pre-order. You do not want to miss out. I cannot wait to start telling you what the next round of bonuses are. And for anyone who's already pre-ordered, you're going to get in on that. So go ahead, take a second, pre-order the book. I can't wait to see you at the masterclass on Wednesday. So go ahead and sign up in the show notes or you can go to my Instagram and you can find the link there. Love you guys. And I'll talk to you soon. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.
2: If dreams are made of paper, let's make paper mache. We'll build a world together with our hands. And if hope is made of healing, and float away wouldn't that be grand nothing lasts forever so we're all a little scared but we're not giving up that easy no we wouldn't dare hey hey mr sun don't you set tonight the day